you're going to be a good sales leader, you want people to want to work for themselves, not for you, right? Yes, you want them to run through brick walls for for their manager because they know you got their back, right? And and if you're treating them as a number or a metric, they're not going to feel that way. And so I am a firm subscriber to the belief that you have to empower people to figure it out. You've got to tell them what to do, right? Not how to do it than what you're describing, which is follow this method, use this script, do that. Like that, all that does is it, it makes people feel like a robot. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Ian Koniak. Ian's the Strategic Account Director at Salesforce.com. Now, this is one of these conversations where beforehand I've prepared a ton of questions for my guest, as I always do, but in this case, we end up talking about none of those questions that I prepare. In this show, we're going to explore, we were going to explore Ian's battle with mental health and addiction issues, and I promise Ian will be back soon on the show to talk about this because that is an important topic and we do want to make sure that we share that with you. However, in this instance, we got sidetracked having fun talking about a ton of other sales topics, like how to sell big deals to big accounts. We also get into the Ian method of selling, self-named method of selling that Ian's developed, and I think you want to make sure you check that out as well. So all this and much, much more, but before we get to Ian, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. All right, Ian, welcome to the show. Great to see you again, Andy. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while. Good to see you as well. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do for people who maybe aren't familiar with you. So I'm an account director for Salesforce. So what a director does is is just what it sounds like. We direct <laughs> within an account. So we we've shifted. Salesforce has done a lot of acquisitions over the past right. uh, ten years, and we've acquired Tableau and MuleSoft and you know, Slack. And each of these um, groups has account executives and solutions engineers and you know, customer success folks. Well, right. somebody's got to be the glue that makes sure all the teams are aligned centrally to support the customer's most strategic, ambitious goals. And that's right. what account directors do. We make sure we're responsible for driving ACV growth within our largest, most strategic uh, accounts, mostly Fortune 2000 companies. Across product lines now. So you, you're not just responsible for what's selling Salesforce, but you said Slack and Tableau and everything into that account. Every product. So I'm I'm quoted on all products across all our subsidiaries and the legacy products that Salesforce is known for, the core CRM stuff. Huh. Interesting. So you've had quite a learning curve then, learning lots of new products. Yeah, what's been great, Andy, is I've I've had as we've acquired so I, I came to the company eight years ago. We were less than ten thousand employees. And um, now we're almost sixty thousand. We were less than three billion. Now we're over. We're I think going to be twenty five billion this year. So I've seen eight x growth um, across the board, and we're just a different company. And and I think what's been really great for me is I've had to learn how to um, focus on solving problems versus selling products. And and it's because we have so many tools in our bag mm-hmm. and so many products in our bag. I just simply can't be an expert. Tableau takes years to really master by itself, right? right? MuleSoft is an integration platform. That's a whole other set. So what I need to get really good at is having business conversations and connecting with senior executives, understanding where they want to go, what's stopping them from getting there, yep. and then bringing in my team to make sure that we can help them with, with what they're trying to do. And, and it's been a blessing in disguise. The more products we've we've kind of grown, what I need to learn specifically, what I focus on is how what problem does this product solve? How does it help our clients? And then I need to be listening and looking out for when and where the opportunities are to bring in my team and then stay out of their way and just make sure I'm holding them accountable. So they right. don't dot a line into me. So the Tableau rep doesn't report to me. They have their VP for Tableau. Same thing with MuleSoft. So you're Got really it. managing in a, in a matrix environment. Right. 
Um, so I work, you know, for for the core team, which is our enterprise our enterprise sales team, and um, we've really had to learn how to manage people that don't necessarily report to you and make sure don't you're report engaged. to you at all. Not necessarily. It's not that they don't necessarily. They don't at all, right? <laughs> yeah, but they do every week, right? So I run right. a team meeting where everyone's on, and if someone doesn't show up, I'm all over it, right? Because I need to know what's going on in the account. I need to make sure the deals are being executed and the customer right. is being supported the right way that my standards set for the account. So it's an interesting position for sure. Now, do you have one account? I have two accounts. And yeah, it it started from, it's interesting because I started with 10 accounts and this is, gosh, eight years ago. And then I went to five, then four, then three, and then two now. So every year, believe it or not, that they've taken away accounts, my quota's gotten a little bigger and I've actually done better and better. So what I, what I'm, you know, really focused on is getting to know these accounts really well, speaking their language, making sure that I'm walking the halls and I know the departments, the executives. It's it's a different type of role because frankly, you don't need a lot of accounts when you have a lot of products, right? You yeah. need to be able to have fewer accounts in in less is more, right? Less accounts, fewer opportunities, less relationships, but bigger opportunities and with higher level executives. That's kind of where I focus. And and it's been, fortunately, it's worked out well. Whereas a lot of AEs say, oh, you're taking away my accounts and no opportunity. I say, no, less is more. That means you can get deeper within these accounts. So I love it. (laughs) So how do you set the strategy for one of these big accounts? So, because you're, who is setting it? Because they're all, they have to be a lot of a different agendas, right? I mean, the Tableau person, the Slack person, the Salesforce legacy CRM person, you know, whatever right is is how do you get everything in alignment yeah we we have a, a rigorous account planning process that we go through it takes probably the better part of the month and we're just starting our fiscal year right now so yeah. our fiscal goes from february to january so we're right. in the early part of our our first quarter now and what i'm doing actively at this point is is these account planning sessions so the way that it looks in in real time is is that I'll say I'll read the 10k of Experian I'll look at what's you know their their top focus in the news I'll look at what their CEO is saying and I'll distill that information and say here's what they're trying to do right so I won't get too specific with my accounts right. and the specifics sure. you know there but but I have a large account that's public so it's easy to access the information right. and you know they're trying to um, shift from a legacy uh, on-premise to a SaaS organization mm-hmm. and with that shift comes reorganization with that shift comes a lot of um, standardization. It, it, the, the way they connect with their customers is changing because on-premise is kind of one-by-one installs where SaaS is, is more multi-tenant. So I'm helping them accelerate that shift and accelerate time to value. So I'm saying, here's here's what this account's trying to do. They're trying to accelerate time to value and um, transition from legacy on-prem to uh, to SaaS for, for right. their services. And here's how we're going to support them, right? So mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really does come down to a mix of strategic plus transactional. So I want to make sure we have enough opportunities to, for example, if a company owns our sales product, but they don't own our CPQ product and our mm-hmm. configurator, I want to make sure the CPQ AE is going after that existing footprint to upsell and, and make sure they're using our Einstein and our sales right. CPQ and our marketing automation, our product, right? So I'm being very, um, I'm, I'm distilling the, both the strategy, but also identifying where the opportunities are within the existing footprint that we have and telling these co-primes or specialists, as we call them, these, right. these sellers for the products to go after those areas. So that that's kind of what the account planning looks like. It's like, here's what we're trying to do to help them. And, and the, the ultimate North Star in, in an account director position, and I've done this a few times, is to put this client on a, on a CELA, which is a Salesforce Enterprise License Agreement, where mm-hmm. they get everything and they don't have to... To buy it one off and piecemeal, but they have and Microsoft does the same thing. You'll see that you know with a lot of the bigger, right. bigger AWS, etc. Um, where we build up so much demand across so many products and services that we say, look, you can buy this one off, you can buy this in individual um, transactions, or we can look at this holistically and put you on an enterprise agreement. So we're all kind of trying to work towards that enterprise agreement. But in reality, what it is, is is a healthy mix of me having strategic conversations with their executives, understanding where they want to go and and pointing 
to the to the areas and the problems that they care most about right. while making sure the individual AEs are tackling the low hanging fruit so we get that run rate business and we get right. you know all all the all the white space that that's you know um, unexplored uh, tackled in between because you don't want to be elephant hunting right because what if that elephant doesn't move then you're then you're out of, then you're out of a job so it's it's a healthy mix of both well and so the question I was going to ask though is is so you've got one two accounts but let's yep. say the the Slack AE on your one or two accounts, are they only focused on those one or two accounts or do they have 10 accounts? If I do my job right, they are, but the reality well, no, is- No, but what do they technically yeah. have, right? Yeah, they have 10 <laughs> accounts. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're spot on, right? So so the, the job that I have, I mean, I have a lot of jobs. I work for the customer first and foremost, but sure. my job is to make sure I'm hogging my team's time, right? Because they Absolutely. could go elsewhere. I- we're going to go where they see the opportunity, right? These mm-hmm. guys have a lot of accounts. They're going to chase opportunities. They're not going to tra- chase strategy per se, right? So they're owning the individual opportunities. But the reality the reality is that if you paint the picture and you tell them, here's the opportunities, here's how many users, here's the white space, and here's what I think the ACV is, they're going to go after that. The account directors aren't always doing that, right? They're not going there. They don't have the intimate knowledge. So the good account directors have the same accounts for three, four, five, 10 years, and they know where the bodies are buried and they know the executives and then they can direct the traffic, hence the account director to their account. Now, the other thing you have to do is you got to hold these folks accountable. So I have a weekly, love the team, but I have a weekly meeting where I'm saying, here's what I told you to go after, how are we progressing? And if they're not progressing, then I will make an intro. I will make sure right. they're progressing. And then if the deal's not going, I will make sure I'm injecting myself in the deal to make sure it's closing and that there's a real problem and there's a real timeline, a compelling event, and all the things that I make sure I do for my own deal right. that they're following. Because sometimes these reps aren't necessarily the best, right? And they need to be taught. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a coach as well as a sales manager as well as an AE in one role. It's 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 And I, before I got to, to sales, Salesforce, I, I led a 60 million ARR company. I had 80 employees. I had 10 sales managers and 70 reps mm-hmm. um, in a company called Rico. So I have that yeah. kind of um, background of, of sales leadership. And it's really now coming full circle to help inspire people. And then once you tell them where to go and you hold them accountable, you stay out of their way. That's the key. Like a lot of these account right. directors are micromanagers and they're trying to be everywhere. That doesn't scale. So I try to just like direct them and stay out of their way. And if they need help, help them just like a VP of sales or right. a frontline sales manager should be doing. Yeah. No, you've got elements of all those jobs in there. I know it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it would be, sounds like an incredibly fun job to do. I mean, it, it is, it, it is It's incredibly <laughs> difficult too. You've got yeah. to have a passion for it. You've got to really care about your customer. Cause if you only have one customer, you don't care about them. You're going to be in trouble. So the, the key is like caring deeply about their success and then doing the right thing. We, we got a huge toolbox, right? I don't tell mm-hmm. people, I just have a toolbox. I like have the whole Home Depot store, right? It's, it's not just the, the software. We have services teams. We have architects. Right. We have people that we can put on the ground to support them. So some clients might, I bet, be walking into a client with low adoption or problems where I'll put a transformation architect or change management or things that have nothing to do with software, but it's what the client needs. And I'll right. sell them that versus you know selling the software where they can't necessarily deploy because they're not aligned or set up um, organizationally to, to use the software. So it, it's you have to know business business really well and you have to know your client really well and then you have to know how to empower and bring in the right team members because right. we are just a beast we have we have such a machine of selling resources half the resources people don't even know about right so right. we we have this this transformation group that all they do is design thinking and help help clients reimagine the future so i like to bring that group in first to mm-hmm. get clients excited about the vision and then we can map back to the technology that supports that and that's like people working for me because these are all really smart people from McKinsey or Bain or consultants that come in pre-sales and, and really help the client have time and space to think about what they want and align together around a future state that potentially existed in silos before where we get right. all these departments together. And that's where the big transformational deals actually occur. Yeah. When I listen to you talk, though, is, is I stress that in my writings and work is, is that really there's four, sorry, four key factors. If you're a salesperson, and you can master these that you can do anything. First one is got to be able to connect, right? So there's connection, there's curiosity, there's understanding, and then taking those together and applying them in a business context, what I call acumen, applying your, your understanding in a business setting, which you just talked about, you can rule the world if you just focus on that. 
Yeah, and then there's a couple underlying qualities which enable you to do those four things well, and that's you have to be smart. And, and I hate to say that, but you got to grasp the concepts and distill it to be able to speak the language that's not technical, but the business language. Well, and that's that gets to the understanding part is you have to, and the curiosity is you have to keep asking questions till you do understand it, right? It's too often that's in right. sales, somebody hears something and writes down the answer. Okay, well, I asked that question, I got an answer. It's like, yeah, yeah but do you really understand it? No, you don't. Yeah, and I and I I could not agree with you more. And in fact, I, I at the risk of appearing stupid, I, I say pardon my ignorance, but I, I don't, I'm not sure I quite grasp that. Can you elaborate further? Can exactly. you elaborate further? Can yeah. you elaborate further? I always ask that, and they will tell you. And then it, it's really that active listening, right? It's it's like, are you trying to think of what you're going to say next, or are you actually listening and trying to understand before? My my philosophy, Andy, and I've had this philosophy my, my, my whole career, and it's served me so well, is never sell anyone anything until you first determine whether or not you can help them, right? Yeah. So I won't pitch. I won't talk. I need to know what you're trying to do, and if I can help you, I'll get you. Now, the nice thing about having a big bag is 90% of the people we can talk to you know, <laughs> yeah, that are willing, um, we can yeah. help. That That's the cool thing is we, we have a lot of tools. But the reality is that you know you need to be really good in sales at understanding where clients clients are and where they want to go and having to ha- how to have that executive conversation that is not pitch related, but is just, you know, really discovery around what they want, why they're not getting it, what's what their biggest obstacles are, you know, and, and, and what's in it for them personally and in their business, right? If you, if you get good at that, it doesn't matter what you're selling because you'll have that trust and rapport with this person saying, wow, you're different. You're, you're actually, you actually care about me and my business because you're asking questions that aren't just about your product or tactical questions right. that, and, and, and that's it, frankly what I have to do in my job to be successful. Well, I think that you what you really highlight a couple things. One is, and I think that sellers overlook this, is that one of the prime sources of value they can bring to a prospect or a customer is to make them feel understood, <laughs> right? It's yeah. it's the great frustration with sellers across the board, with C, especially at the C-level, is, yeah, this person just didn't understand what we're talking about, or they didn't have the background. And, and to do what you did is, yeah, could you elaborate that? That's interesting. Tell me more about that, please. What else can you tell me about that? is you start digging down until you absolutely convinced you understand it. And then it, do it at two levels that you talked about, both at the personal level, at the company level. And this is this is something that sellers overlook that, that I think is just so critical, is that everybody operates on two levels, right? What's in it for the company? What's in it for me personally? And if you're talking to stakeholder and you don't understand both those dimensions, you're missing out on something that's really critical. You're, you're absolutely right. And that's, uh, you know, one of the questions I like to ask, Andy, and, and I do a lot of the trainings inside of Salesforce, mm-hmm. and I do trainings outside of Salesforce. And On one of your website, that, yes. You know, one, of, one of the things that I really think is important that people forget is why. Why is this important to you personally? Why is mm-hmm. this important to you personally? And, and I'll share a quick story. Um, my biggest deal I ever landed at Salesforce was with a company called Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And it sure. was with the CEO of the company. And they were buying CRM for 50,000 agents. Real and estate agents. Yeah. Real estate yeah. agents, yeah. And I asked him, and he was really cared about this. And he really was getting deep in it. You don't see that usually from a CEO, right? They might pass it to a mm-hmm. CI. And I said, I, I got to ask you, like, you're pretty unique. Like, you're engaged. You, you right. really care about your people. Like, help me understand why this is so important to you. And he opens up and he talks about being raised by a single mom and she – wanted to be a great mom, but also had to work. And, um, you know, the real estate industry uh, gives people an opportunity for having a career and having a family and defining Mm -hmm. life on their terms. And these are entrepreneurs. And if we don't empower, you know, them to be successful through training and through tooling and through enablement, we are failing them. And I don't want to fail all the single moms out there that have, that want to be successful and want to be there for the families. And that's why people go into real estate. And, And once I... Once he said that, everything changed. Everything changed for me because I didn't think about him and I didn't even think about his company. I thought about the users and the people that were actually going to be impacted. And so it wasn't a sale to one company or, you know, uh, their employees. It was a sale to 50,000 families or single moms. It's like humanizing what you're selling. And and it really just came from one simple question, which is why why is this important to you? So you got to know what's in it for them, right? Exactly. I mean, you were asking... Really, the, the key question, again, I think it's overlooked so often, is just 
what's the most important thing to you and how can I help you get that, right? I mean, if, if sellers just focused on that, right? Finding out what's the most important thing to you and truly understanding what that is and how can I help you get that? You go a long way to putting yourself in the right position. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> We're it so does. inundated with how to sell. We're right. so worrying about like the tactic or the methodology. We forget like exactly what selling is. I think selling just has a bad rap. And if you think of selling as helping and helping others get what they want to give you what you want, I think right. it simplifies the whole industry, the whole profession. Well, yeah. And you, you talk about this in, in one of your videos that I watched. That was a good video about your Ian method of selling. Um, That's right. That's right. One other one that's named after yourself. I'll, I'll have to look at uh, how I can do that for Andy. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 and we'll get into that a little bit, but the you know the message really is is that you know I think I believe that sales managers are so focused on process and method do their people such as disservice, right? Is because they're not freeing them up as you talked about. They're not getting out of their way to enable these people to give them some level of autonomy to experiment, right? To come up with the John method of selling, the Jennifer method of selling, the whatever, because that's what everybody has. And there is, I get it, you know, you want to train everybody on Sandler because we all speak the same sales language. Yeah, come on. It's, it's the sales language is going to be that individual language, I think, of every person has their own strengths. And this is one of the things that I'm just curious to see what you see because certainly in my experience and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of conversations with people on this show and otherwise, Yes, yeah, getting this real sense that that too often now managers are just so focused on the metrics because they're available in a way they never were before is we've got so much more transparency, vision into what's happening, visibility into what's happening, is we're squelching that individuality. Yeah, my my first thought is I'm glad you're talking about this because no one is. I don't hear it that often. I hear all this method and tool and, you know, this way to record and, and analyze and understand and you have to follow this process. And, and what that does is it, it squashes the rep's freedom. You don't want, if you're going to be a good sales leader, you want people to want to work for themselves, not for you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you want them to run through brick walls for, for their manager because they know you got their back, right? And, right? and if you're treating them as a number or a metric, they're not going to feel that way. And so I, I am a firm subscriber to the belief that you have to empower people to figure it out, right? You've got to tell yeah. them what to do, right? Not how to do it. So if you tell them, here's our standard for, you know, how many opportunities you're going to need to be able to close this many deals per month based on our average selling price per deal and your pipeline doesn't reflect that. And so you're going to need to focus that that's coaching. That's very different than, than what you're describing, which is follow this method, use this script, do that like that. All that does is it, it makes people feel like a robot. So I, I, I do agree with you a hundred percent that, um, the best sellers figure out their own way to get it done. Okay, no two people. We're all different. We're all unique. We all are in that, and that's what the Ian method is. That's this is not. I, I said it as a joke. I was half joking. Well, I know you did, but it's it's but it's the right point. Is 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 I tell people. I said at some point you need to write your own sales book. Now I don't mean by that to go out and write a book. Please do if you if you if you want to. But in the sense of write down, as you've done, how I sell, right? Book of Ian, that's how Ian sells, right? And I think that's everyone right. needs to have that experience at some point of writing it down and saying, this is how I do it, or this is how I think I do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and everyone that's really, really good, there's some commonality factors, which you, which you mentioned, but they all sell a little bit differently. I don't know anyone in the top, and these are people running eight-figure, nine-figure deals in some cases, mm -hmm. massive accounts um, across across the biggest companies in the world, and they're all doing it very, very differently. I don't know a single one of them that subscribes to, hey, I'm doing this challenger, I'm doing this um, Sandler, I'm doing this. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel authentic when you're trying to memorize what to say next or how to position it. What, what really works is being yourself and caring about your clients. And, and that's um, 
you know, you got to shine. You got to be authentic. Authenticity matters in human connection, right? The reason you probably took my call before this podcast is because I saw an authentic post about you and being with your family and that really resonated with me right. in terms of where I'm at in my career and, and and what's important to me now. And I reached out authentically and you took mm-hmm. a meeting, which I'm sure you get a lot of people requesting meetings, but why did you take yeah. it with me? It's because I was authentic and yeah. I cared about you and I really appreciated what you put out on a post, right? So that that's how I sell, right? It's literally looking at what people are posting online, what mm-hmm. they're saying in interviews, researching the executive, taking things that are really relevant that I can help with or that I heard that resonate and reaching out and saying, I like what you said about this. Here's where I think we might be able to help you in these areas. Would you be open to a conversation, right? And then obviously being persistent and following up because executives are busy and you have to follow up a, a number of times. But you know that's not a script. That's not a no. method. That's just straight caring about somebody and spending the time to understand what's important to them and do your do your research. And I think that is what's not taught. And in fact, that's why I have my website and my training and my yeah. videos. So I'm trying to teach this way of selling where it doesn't feel so robotic and it doesn't feel so scripted because I feel like young people especially are confused and they don't know what to do. And they're so set on like following these like ways of selling that they're forgetting like you are got to be yourself because that's what people buy from. People buy from who they like and trust. And that's what we're losing right now, that human connection. And, and we got to get it back, frankly. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I <laughs> remember getting an email from a client that said, look, we just spent X amount of dollars and two weeks getting trained by a sales training company whose name you'd probably know. And they said, and here's the problem. We don't know how to sell. <laughs> we just got through, and we still don't know how to sell. And it's to your point precisely, right? I mean, the method, method and process laid out by this this company, sure, they're worthwhile learning, right? They're they're good, but they don't teach you how to sell. What you do in the moment, they don't teach you how to connect with somebody. They don't teach you how to be curious. And so it's yeah, I'm always sort of amused is that yeah, you know, people think yeah, we can just. Let's bring in this big company. We'll train everybody. And it's like, and you wonder Andy, why you don't get an ROI on that training. Andy, you're hitting a you're hitting a nerve right now that's really been bothering me for a while, and it's why I started my company, and it's why mm-hmm. I am really focused on transforming the, the sales training industry is broken, and it's for the reasons. There's two things that are broken about it. Number one is companies have their own enablement, which is very centralized around product right. and process. Okay. Yes. Not how to sell, but here's how we sell. We're going to follow this process and everyone's got to speak the same language. And it's not focused on the soft skills, the human skills. There's nothing in there. It's always about like this methodology or this. And then the second thing that's broken is these outside companies come in and they come in for a day or two days or maybe a week if you're lucky. And then they disappear and there's no follow-up and there's no reinforcement. And that's not how people learn, right? People learn through ongoing reinforcement. You can't just go to a course for a day and think you're going to transform what you've done your whole life for 20 years and right. magically. Maybe you'll get a couple pointers that you can write down. Maybe you use them, maybe you don't. But 99% of the time, you you um, set it and forget it, right? You right. set it down right then and there. And the next day, you're back to what you were doing before and you just wasted a ton of time and money. So my goal long-term, I'm at Salesforce now, but my long-term goal is to really take this this enablement model and, and put it more on how to sell and also infuse coaching and personal development with the, the soft skills as well yeah. as some of the more the more hard skills which are needed for sales and have like follow-up coaching and follow-up lessons mm-hmm. and have people that can reinforce it because that's people pay for application, not information. You can get information for free. I can go on your podcast and probably learn more than I can learn with any of these training companies just listening to going for a run, right? I can go on YouTube. I can go anywhere and find information. But how to apply it is is a day-to-day thing. It's a weekly thing. And you need a good, it starts with the frontline sales manager. You need a good sales manager who is actually teaching how to sell and showing and leading by example and rolling up their sleeves and doing it with the AEs. And that's what's missing a lot of times. These armchair well, managers that are looking at reports. So Right. So let's let's tackle that issue because yeah, i I'm on record saying on this program multiple occasions is that yeah, we spend twenty billion dollars a year in the United States on sales training, of which maybe spend ten percent of that on training frontline managers. What if we flipped that and we spent 90% of that 20 billion on training frontline managers. 
<laughs> and only the other 10% on training sellers, wouldn't we be better off? 100%, because yeah. managers get promoted by being good AEs. They were never managers. They were yeah. never leaders, right? And so you well, take so the top AEs and make them a manager, what do they do? They beat up their team because they expect their team to be like them and to know what they know. And it just doesn't work, right? You, maybe they're the, the top 5%, and that's why they got the promotion. But the reality is there's a whole set of skills that's related to inspiring people and mm-hmm. you know coaching them. And, and most managers are not coaches. You know, If you got it, frankly... A good manager is, is a mix. It's a mix of coach and knows a, a seller who can go yes. in and actually get deals done. And, yeah. and you know, I've I've had the privilege of working for an amazing manager, and he's been promoted now multiple times. An amazing leader that both knows how to sell. But the best the best managers stay out of their way, right? Mm-hmm. They let the the AEs do what they do, and they come in to help when they need to. So it, it's it's a it's you got to know when to like back off. That's that's a skill too because you don't want to be a micromanager. Right. Everyone hates a micromanager, and there's far too many out there. So I agree well, with you. The I question think is, how do we how do we enable the managers to feel confident to back off? And I think this is to me this is the issue is that sales managers operate from a perspective of fear, and especially the frontline sales managers, right? Is and this is why they gravitate. To the metrics, especially when they have less sales experiences, because that's tangible. I I can look at that and I I can sort of manipulate that, but I don't know how to I don't want to say manipulate, but we'll use the word manipulate the individual, right? To help them. And so to me, this is what I see is this 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 overwhelming amount of fear among frontline managers that they really don't know what they're doing. We have not enabled them. It's not their fault. We have not enabled them. And so they default to the thing that's sort of they do understand, which is the numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, right? Yeah. If, if if you figure it out, let me know. I think I think it has to do with the individual. It has to do with the type of people that you're promoting to managers, right? Looking at people that are servant oriented, that want the top managers know that their team success is their own success, and. You know, yeah, it's it's a tough one, but I do think the metrics matter. I do think looking at pipeline and knowing when to coach and how, but you don't want to overlook at the metrics, right? It's really simple. And 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 again, I I I can't. It's been a while since I've had a frontline sales team, but when I did, I had every rep over planet. I had nine nine reps on my team, and the key was, you know, for me, making sure everyone knew what they were supposed to do on a daily basis holding them accountable to do it, and then going in and showing them how to sell with them. And the ones that learned and could pick it up, I kind of backed off, right? And then I went in the bigger deals with them. The ones that didn't, probably long-term weren't a fit, right? So it really does um, have to do with, you, you have to be a good teacher to be a good leader, and a good frontline sales leader, you, you're not just doing it for them. You're kind of teaching them along the way, and you're back, gradually backing off and watching them uh, at, to see if they if they're getting it. I guess I guess is the easiest way to explain it. Well, and you're I'm interested in your opinion on this. So, what if? And this is you know, something I've been talking about for a while. Is is so? Let's take an example from professional sports. And because yeah, professional sports. Certainly, I'm a huge soccer fan. Uh, you know, that's this is a performance-oriented profession, right? Just like most professional sports are. Not too dissimilar from sales, right? But you know, they have become very specialized and very advanced in their use of analytics. Now we're starting to do more of that in sales, but also in the use of you know, specialized coaches. You, know, you look at the coaching staff of any any you know. Premier League soccer team, and there's a laundry list of coaches. You know, my example is, you know, my club, Liverpool, has a coach just for throw-ins. Right? That's especially. So why are we gravitating towards more of that type of model in sales where we have people that are very specialized coaches for specialized functions that can actually, instead of putting all this responsibility on the managers, expecting them to be experts on all of that, which is just unrealistic, is... And yeah, I think it doesn't happen because, quite honestly, people at the top don't want to invest that much in sales. But I think the return would be pretty worthwhile if we start taking more of that approach. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, I have a buddy who has a life coaching um, business, mm-hmm. and he uh, took that life coaching now, and they're selling to companies 
the, the having a frontline life coach available for the sales teams. Right. And I, I think it's Great brilliant. Idea. I think yeah. it's brilliant. And it's called Life Guides. And, and this guy um, gets it, right? You mm-hmm. have to take what people are good at and let them do what they're good at. Not everyone's right. a, a Swiss army knife where they're good at everything, right? right. And so I think it would make a lot of sense. And, and Salesforce is starting to do this now. And it, it's nice. It's refreshing. But it's it's hitting the leaders, right? They're, so right. the RVPs and the AVPs are getting these coaches that are helping them with not just like sales-specific metrics, which they know pretty well, but how to lead, how to make sure they have the right habits and behaviors and understanding what their goals are and that they're doing the things that advance their goals. Because that's a whole different, um, you know, that's a whole different muscle. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, my, 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 I have a new RVP right now. She just joined the team and she's, it said on her profile, it's an internal coach. I'm like, what is that? So she actually got certified by the inner, the ICF and she's a certified coach. I'm like, that is awesome. Like that is a skill, right? So she took the time to to get a skill there. And we have this like internal coaching program at, at Salesforce, but, but you're right. Most sales, sales leaders that I've worked for aren't great coaches, right? But, but you still need to you still need to know some basic things, which is how, how to sell and how to basically lead without, I mean, I happen to not be an analytics guy and I don't get caught in the data and the metrics. It's not that interesting to me. I like the people and the connecting mm-hmm. piece of selling. So for me, I'd yeah, much rather have a one-on-one and write nothing, nothing down and just chat like right. we're doing right now, Andy. So it comes natural to me versus digging into dashboards and drilling and trying to find the hidden data um, but there are people that can do that. So we have a group that specifically is a strategy group that tells the sales RVPs and Salesforce has deep pockets. So we can invest some right. of this, but they're, they're a data science group that just tells the RVPs, hey, based on how this company is using the data, you might want to go after these areas, yep. right? So yep. that is something previously the, the, the RVPs would have to do or the AEs would have to do and most wouldn't even do it. So it's like we're bringing opportunities now to the AEs to go out. AEs should be focused on meeting with customers and selling and what I call RGAs, revenue generating activities. So that's basically setting meetings, preparing for those meetings, doing those meetings or following up on those meetings and those four problems, identifying and solving problems. That's right. Being with customers, plain and simple, spend your time in front of customers, not digging into dashboards and internal stuff. It's the same thing with RVPs and frontline sales managers. They should be spending time coaching their AEs, right? Making sure Mm -hmm. their AEs know what to do and helping. And they should be out in the field with strategic, larger customers and deals coaching and watching and leading by example. And if everything else is, is helping with them well, and you have resources exactly. to help the other things, then they're going to be freed up and that's going to drive a lot of revenue. So I think, I think there'd be huge returns there. Yeah. And I think this, this being able to walk the walk and talk the talk is, is a big issue. You know, I see in, in companies where you get people on executive levels that are more in sales that are maybe good at hiring and building a team. I call them orchestrators, but they're not operators, right? They don't, they're not, comfortable in front of the customers. And I think it's really, companies really need to have somebody that's a, a blend, as you said, of both. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I've been in sales for 18 years and I started down up and down the street with selling copiers and we didn't have all the technology. We didn't have the analytics. It was an advantage. I was just literally sure. going out of the so office. I, got, so of I, business I wasn't, I wasn't copiers, but it was, I was, yeah, I was in Oakland, and I'd drive to Hayward and Union City, and I'd park in a business park, and I was selling computers. But, yeah, walk all day making calls. Up, up and down an office building, knocking on doors, right? And what does oh, that uh, do? We, <laughs> we fought for the high-rises. There's very few high-rises at that time in Oakland, so <laughs> you wanted so a high-rise. That was great. I had, I had Santa Monica, and I had Koreatown, and there were a lot of high-rises. Yeah. And yeah. I, I used to have a method because I would have security guards – basically get called and say there's sure. someone soliciting here. So I would go right. to the 10th floor and then the second and then the ninth, the third, so I can stay <laughs> ahead so they couldn't see where I was. I, I mean, that. I had this to a science, but the advantage was you learn to sell and you learn yeah. to sell without relying on a script or a method or a technology or a process. You're just basically, it's very simple. Activity yields pipeline, yields results. And it was a science of selling. If you hit the right number of people, you are inevitably, even if you're bad, you're going to find some opportunities, especially in copiers where there's leases that are coming up. You're going to find, right. 
even if, and then I just bring my manager. I brought my manager. We'd have a ride day once a week and he'd come out and he'd show me how to do selling. And that was how I learned. That's how I cut my teeth selling copiers is, you know, just setting a lot of appointments, bringing in my manager and that manager, Tim Harris, I still grateful to him to this day, showed me how to close deals. And then it was like, I picked it up and you know, the rest is history. Yeah, well, back in October on this show, I I had my first manager ever on the show as my guest. So, uh, yeah, telling stories about me, but but yeah, wow, you're that's right. really cool. Yeah, I mean, he went on had a very successful career, and and but to a point you're bringing before is yeah, you talked about you know your little equation. Everybody's got their number, and this is this is the thing is, but what sort of drives me nuts is back to a topic we're talking about early in the the show is that. Now everybody wants to make sure everybody has the same number, right? So like pipeline coverage ratios that you see, in, especially in, in a lot of SaaS companies, it's like not everybody needs 5X, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is, and yeah. when you force people to do that, you start developing bad sales behaviors. And that's, you know, in my mind, that, that ultimately leads to low win rates. But it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned the 5X thing because yeah. – I talk about this a lot, right? In this, this again, I did a little talk called the science of selling, which is, you know, just the numbers specifically. Mm-hmm. And and I and this this is what I did at Rico. And and again, I I moved for to me an IC for a reason. I've been there for a reason because because I control my own destiny. But right. you know, for for a while, I was I was scaling and building out these teams, and we started with seven and grew it to you know seventy reps when I left. And um, the the thing that I would teach people is really simple, and it was it was if you do a hundred cold calls a week, okay, you will yeah. set ten appointments a week. It's about a ten percent. These were in person cold calls and follow ups. If you right. set ten appointments a week, always that means you're always doing appointments a week. So our simple formula is do two and set two every day. Do two mm-hmm. appointments, set two appointments every day. If you do ten a week, you're going to find four opportunities. Okay, four people that want to see a proposal. Out of those four, if you're terrible. If you're terrible, you'll close 25% of the deals, okay? And that means you'll close four deals a month, and our average deal size is about 10K, and we will hit 40K, and your quote is 30, and you'll be off to the races. And the people who did it all hit their number. And we infused a ride day in there so the manager can show how to sell. So we had this process down. Well, what ended up happening, what I told everyone is it's not going to be – you know, 16 opportunities equals four closed deals. What it's going to be is it's going to be 16 opportunities equals eight closed deals because you're going to get better at closing and objection handling and moving it forward. And then, by the way, now the opportunities are going to get larger. So you're not going to need 16. You're going to need five. And, and and now it's literally to the point where at Salesforce, like my win ratio is probably 75%. When I'm yeah. running charge, when I'm bringing my team, right, I just need a few deals, but I need the right deals with the right problems, right. the right executives. And then I don't need to go grind it out. And that's what people do. They're grinding and they're grinding and they're trying to hit these metrics that are based on, frankly, just garbage. And and, and yeah. then, you know, they're, they're, you're right, they're making up stuff and they're discouraged. And more importantly, they're setting themselves up for burnout. And that's not a sustainable career right not it's not all. that's not, not how it works all. like that's why i have yeah. one two accounts and it's great it's like i can just focus on them and well i mean you have that. that but i mean even in the early part of my career is is i maybe i was crazy at the time but but i we had the same the same methods processes laid out you know make x number of calls yada, yada, yada. that just didn't seem like the way i wanted to do it right so yeah, I made call a lot of calls the first year or so, and then once I got promoted to bigger stuff, what I did is I said, well, huh, what I'm going to do a little differently is I would send out 10, 15, I'm going to date myself horribly here, but postcards to prospects in the territory, and every Wednesday afternoon I had a standing seminar I'd host in my branch office, where we'd go through a demonstration of the system we were selling. And just through that... <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't making 100 calls. I sent out 15 postcards, but I was following up. Yeah, I'm a huge follow-up fanatic. I'd follow-up fanatic. You get high yield. I'd get three to four people in a week. I had a huge pipeline. Very healthy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying the conversation because it, it goes back to what we said earlier. Is like you got to let reps figure out what works for them. And, and exactly. You know, again, giving giving the metrics of what the numbers are and what you need in your pipeline is absolutely someone something everybody should do. Now, what well, you shouldn't I, but do. But I knew my numbers. I knew my numbers. Yeah, they just weren't everybody right. else's numbers, right? And that's fine. That's right. And that's that's right. the way. So it what I what I tell sales leaders um, that. 
ask me and when I interact with them is do not track number of cold calls. That is the worst metrics, right? What you want to look at is how many people are you meeting with, like appointments that you've had, and of those, what percentage turn into opportunities and of your existing pipeline what percentage close so your ratios we want to work the ratios that are unique to you i don't care how you get the appointments you can go to a trade show you can send out postcards you can you can do linkedin videos you know my coaching business i get all my clients from linkedin videos there is no funnel there is no prospecting there are no leads coming i do a video and people say i want help this really resonated isn't great well you know i'm doing the side little coaching thing Anyway, it's it's different for everybody, right? They're, the top salespeople are not doing prospecting in the ways that you know people tell them to, which is just dial and you know email. No, they're they're kidding. Kidding. yeah, rule breakers. That's why exactly. I say you know, common. The commonality among common thing among all, and I don't really like the word top performers, but people that are succeeding on a consistent basis is yeah, they're they're rule breakers. Fundamentally, rule breakers. They do mm-hmm. their own thing. Exactly. And, and I just have seen that over and over again, but they all yeah. care. Like they're self-motivated. Yeah. If you know someone is self-motivated and if you know, I didn't think we were going to talk about sales management, but I, I love it. It's, it's fun for me. Cause I, yeah. I do, I've, I've seen both sides. I've seen terrible managers. And, but if you know, someone wants to be successful for their own self, you don't have to track what they're doing. Assume they're going to be working. Right. And if there's a problem, you'll know it, you'll see it with the pipeline, you'll see it yeah. with the forecast. And then you can coach them and figure out what you need to do and help them and, you know, guide them. Right. But, when the problem is they're not working, that is, it will be evident by the numbers. But if the problem is that they're not good closers, you can work on that. If the problem is is that when they meet with people, it doesn't convert to the opportunity or their deals are stalled, they're not advancing. You can work on that, right? But the fundamental job of, of a sales leader is to help advance and develop their people. And you don't do that if you're treating everyone the same. You just don't. So I always try and start with understanding what people want to go, what's important to them personally, what their income goals are, and then working with them on a plan to help them achieve those goals. And you just start there and then hold people to, to accountable to what they want anyway, right? Then it's like, then it becomes a coaching relationship. Yeah, I've, I've, help simplify this for, for people and you figured it out, but for you know, people I haven't figured it out is, is if you remember early in the conversation, I said, you know, if we boil down selling to what really selling is about, it's, it's talking to a buyer, listening and understanding, truly understanding what's most important to them and then helping them get that. And <laughs> what are you trying to do when you're coaching and managing an employee? You're finding out what's most and really understanding what's most important to them and then helping them to get that. I mean, it's basically the same same motion. Whether you're doing it with a customer or you're doing it with somebody you're coaching, you're trying to achieve the same thing. How do I understand what's most important to them? How do I help them achieve it? Yeah, it's um, it's not just sales; it's life, right? It's like being yeah. interested in what people want, and you know, that's it. Just you know how you interact with people. I, I don't. Well, yeah, interested, authentic, right? E-I-A, need, identify need, what's most important to them. That's the, by the way, that was the short summary of the Ian method of selling. So Yeah, it's, 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 it's exactly right. Be interested, yeah. not interesting. Don't talk about yourself. Talk about them right. and, and dig deep. Authentic is show up as you. Don't show up yeah. as who you think you should be, but show up as your true self. And yeah. the people that you gravitate towards naturally will gravitate back. And you don't have to put on a mask because you think that's what salespeople do. And, well, and, and to that, that point, right, as I tell people all the time, I said, yeah, what's what's the one question a customer will never ask you? One, any idea? One question a customer will never ask you. Gosh, what would they never ask you? Um, I have. There's a lot. I mean, it might be personal. Like it might be. Well, you know, I'm thinking of politically one, incorrect questions or something like that. that right, they wouldn't no, go. One, I've heard all those. One one question that they'll they'll never ask you is, yeah, hey Andy, could you be more salesy? customer will never ask you so it's to your point about showing up putting on a mask thinking you need to play this role no they don't want you to play the role they want you to be you what Quite, quite interestingly, I've had a lot of customers when I get close with them and I start to be salesy and I start to pitch, like they'll say, can you be less salesy? And they'll tell me, and that's how you know right. you have a good relationship. They're like, you yep. don't want to be selling here. You want to show up yep. as someone who's, a, it's a trusted advisor versus a salesperson, right? That That's yep. the truth. Like It's about adding value. It's about listening. You're, I, I say sales, you're a vessel. You're a, you work for the customer. You're a vessel to connect them with 
whatever they're trying to do through the vehicle of your products and services. You're just that vessel that kind of moves things back and forth and connects them and helps them get what they want. You're, you don't even exist as an individual. It's like you are there for them and your individuality will shine. It's not about yeah. you per se is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. It's like yeah. they don't care about you. You will get to know them through the process. They care about themselves. And so you got to just get them opening right. up and then they start to care about you. So it's like reversal. You think you have to be interesting to them. You don't. You just need to be interested yeah. in them and Great. be yourself. 100%. All right, we could go on forever, but we're running out of time. So, um, and we didn't really even cover a lot of what I wanted to talk to you about. So, we're going to have you back and we'll do that again. But uh, for people who want to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, maybe on your side hustle, how can they do that? Yeah, my there's three channels, you know, that they can find me. I think number one is LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm most active. Um, and it's just Ian Koniak on LinkedIn. Uh, I, every every week I try and do a post. I'll do a video on sales training, sales enablement, personal development, anything really geared towards helping people advance their potential. So just follow me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a DM if you like the podcast. Um, if you want to see all my previous videos, um, they're all posted on my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash Ian Koniak. And then if you want to learn more about coaching or just what I offer and kind of my own service, um, in terms of helping helping individuals kind of go from good to great. Um, I have a website, ianconiac.com. I will say I'm a full-time employee at Salesforce and I take very, very limited you know, clients as, as a side sure. hustle. And the wait list right now is about 50 people. So if I don't get back to you, don't, you know, don't get upset, but put yourself on the wait list. Eventually, like I said, I'd love to do this full-time. I'd love to make a career of it. And you know, I'm, I'm right now just kind of building up building up the brand, building up the audience. Good. So I appreciate, appreciate, uh, if you got any value, just, just let me know that that's what makes, makes me happy is hearing, you know, hearing people, um, and what they've taken away. So best place is LinkedIn to start. Well, perfect. All right. Well, Ian, what's that? Thank you very much for joining me and we'll do it again. Thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate it. Okay. Friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm ever so grateful for your support of this program and I want to thank my guest, Ian Koniak, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>